here at the Steps to Investing podcast, our aim is to bring you news, hints and ideas, all designed for the inexperienced investor. Hello, I'm Simon Longfellow. And I'm Marcus De Silva. And thanks for joining the programme. This week, we look at the world of pensions. What are they? How do they work? What are the costs? And what can you invest in? We talked to Tom Selby from investment platform AJ Bell to find the answers. But before that, let's get a roundup of the latest news in markets and companies. Marcus, what's the news in the main global markets? Thanks, Simon. And as we round the turn on the US presidential election next week, we hear that this week, fresh waves of COVID are not only steering the election course, but leading to fairly steep drops across stock markets the world over. Beginning in the US, by the time you hear next week's pod with Pension B, we will know if America has a fresh president-elect. Although Biden is double-digit points ahead in the national polls, it would be foolish to think that his victory is a done deal, as margins are much slimmer in swing states across the US, Midwest and South. Trump has tried to steer the election towards his plans on an economic recovery, but COVID simply won't let him as a third surge of the virus tears through the US, causing markets to tumble and affect his chances of re-election. The S&P 500 is down 167 points to 3,271. European markets have also had a grim week, in particular on Wednesday, as France and Germany imposed nationwide restrictions that near echo the severity of those from the first wave, which of course led to an economic tailspin across the block. But it's not all doom and gloom. The European Central Bank, which perhaps hasn't been as bold as some would like with its monetary policy, announced today that it would review stimulus measures at its meeting in December in its strongest indication yet that it may increase its 1.35 trillion euro pandemic emergency purchase programme. Of course, hopes also remain on a number of vaccines that may emerge at the beginning of next year. The stock 600 is down 16 points to 344. In the UK, COVID has also put markets on a back foot But on Thursday, investors were pleasantly surprised by strong earnings and dividend growth from one of the FTSE 100's biggest dividend payers, Royal Dutch Shell. And there was a lift for Lloyds Bank due to a home buying spree. The FTSE 100 is down 200 points to 5,586. Finally, in Asia, markets are largely tracking the rest of the globe. And financials IPO did manage to get off on Tuesday though, listing on the Shanghai and Hong Kong stock exchanges and generating history with a record-breaking $34 billion raise, propelling Shanghai to the top of the pack in terms of money raised on global stock markets this year. A sign, perhaps, of times to come. Okay, moving on to look at companies. And struggling toy maker Hornby has recorded a 33% jump in sales in the six months to the end of September, as lockdown encouraged people to take up new hobbies at home. The firm makes model railways, corgi cars, and owns the Scalextric brand. Until recently, the firm had been struggling for many years as customers abandoned the brand. Shares in Hornby were up 9% on the news. Germany's car maker Mercedes-Benz is to raise its stake in Aston Martin Lagonda as part of the UK car maker's recovery plan. 
Aston Martin, which lost significant amounts of cash since a disastrous stock market flotation, said Mercedes will increase its holding from 5% to 20%. The announcement, made after the market closed, called the deal a strategic technology agreement. Shares in Aston Martin jumped 15% when markets reopened. And finally, Royal Dutch Shell has this week increased its dividend after easily beating third-quarter profit forecasts. But the energy company warned of significant uncertainty because of the pandemic. The Anglo-Dutch company said it would boost its dividend on an annual basis in a sign of renewed confidence after it cut its dividend in April for the first time since the 1940s. Shell is planning a major restructuring as part of a plan to reduce greenhouse emissions to net zero by 2050. Shares in the company rose 3% after the dividend announcement. Okay, so that's the week in markets and companies. Let's move on now to our feature interview. And this week, Marcus spoke to Tom Selby at investment platform AJ Bell to work out what pensions are all about. Now, the idea of retiring early, being financially totally free of worry and living a life on holidays and golf courses is probably quite an appealing one to most of us. But how do you set about getting to this life? Building a juicy pension is probably one of the clearest paths to do so, yet so many of us know so little about them, what tax benefits they bring, what flavours and options are available to us, but also how much fun you can have investing with your pension. The pot alongside your home will probably end up being one of your most valuable assets. And rather than leave its management to someone else, you're entitled to take hold of the reins and make your own investment decisions in the form of a self-invested personal pension, or SIP. Now, to help me understand how this works, I have invited a pension expert, Tom Selby, onto the pod from AJ Bell, the second largest fund platform in the UK and provider of SIPs. Tom, a very warm welcome. Hello, thank you for having me on. Tom, let's start with what, uh, who AJ Bell are and what, what you do at the company. Yeah, sure. So um, as, you, as you mentioned at the top there, um, AJ Bell is what's known as an investment platform. Um, so that just means that we help people to invest their money, whether that's uh, through pensions, so self-invested personal pensions, as you mentioned, or ISAs and lifetime ISAs. So originally... AJ Bell was formed as a company that just uh, serviced customers who had financial advisors, has grown significantly over the last two or three decades and now services both customers directly, so in what's called the direct-to-consumer market, as well as um, customers through financial advisors, what's known as the B2B or business-to-business market. Um, So I joined AJ Bell about four and a half years ago now. So I'm a senior analyst at AJ Bell. Um, I help um, form and develop our policies around pensions issues. Um, I explain pensions to our customers through various articles and communications. And I'm also our main spokesperson on retirement issues in the press. Okay, sound like the right person to talk to. So let's start <laughs> <Hopefully>. with, <laughs> so let's start with um, you know, what is a pension? What benefits does it bring? 
fundamentally the the point of a pension is that it's a long-term savings product that you can hold your money in that's tax incentivized that, that can then deliver a, an income in retirement that suits your needs okay and um, what are the key you know different types of pensions that, that people will be exposed to yeah, so the, the, I guess there's kind of three tiers, roughly, of pensions that exist. So the state pension, the one that um, most people will rely on and will be the bedrock of their savings. So um, in simple terms, you have to have 35-year national insurance um, contribution record to qualify for the full state pension. So that's just over 175 quid a week at the moment and is available from age um, 66, although the state pension is due to rise in the coming years. You've then got workplace pensions on top of that. So for most people, that will be um, a defined contribution pension. So that will be offered by their um, employer. So that's just a pension that builds up um, a pot of money that's then invested and then you turn into an income in retirement. So our automatic enrolment's been introduced to encourage people to save in workplace pensions. And so you get 8% roughly of your earnings going in in order to build a retirement pot and then if you want to save over and above that and that's what most people will want to do then there are personal pensions and SIPs which offer you greater 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 flexibility more choice um, but the same tax benefits as workplace pensions. Tom can you just describe the key tax benefits so I put some money in is that before tax after tax and then you know do I get taxed when I retire and I, and I start drawing on my pension? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, if you when you pay money into a pension, then you get upfront pensions tax relief. So um, if we talk about paying into a SIP, then if you pay 80 quid in, then that will automatically be topped up by the pension by the by tax relief to 100 pounds. You can then claim back an extra 20 pounds if you're a higher rate taxpayer or 25 pounds if you're an additional rate taxpayer. Uh, you then benefit from tax-free investment growth throughout the, the lifetime of your pension. If you're in the workplace, you'll benefit from a matched contribution on your first 3% as well. And then when you reach age 55, as the rules at the moment, age 55, you can get up to a quarter of your fund is available tax-free with the rest of your fund taxed in the same way as income. One thing to note there is that the point at which you can access your pension is due to rise from 55 at the moment to 57 in 2028. Well, let's focus on SIPs then. I mean, this is um, AJ Bell's area of focus. Um, am I right in saying that you were the first execution-only platform to offer SIPs? Yes, yes. So that was a, a, a long, a long time ago, and long and long before my time. But yes, AJ, AJ Bell's been at the at the vanguard of the of the SIP sector for for decades now and it's it's quite interesting the the self-invested personal pension has really evolved substantially over the years so when when these when these products were first created in the in the late 80s and first came to market in the early 90s they were very much the preserve of the wealthy so you would have to have a financial advisor in order to have a sip you'd probably need to have a lot of money in order to um, to invest in a sip as well and so as a result very few people would have had access to them but we've we've seen over the years um, in the UK the the onset of technology so the ability to invest online has been able to significantly lower costs and various changes by successive governments have 
opened up greater levels of flexibility and choice to people who who want to save and invest and take responsibility for 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 themselves and want to take an active role in building their retirement pot and withdrawing on their retirement pot as well so as a result now sips are incredibly popular i think around some, somewhere in the reach of one million sips a, a year now are, are sold by providers in the uk so they're very much part of the the mainstream from what was relatively humble beginnings yeah okay well let's talk a bit about their features then you know um how do they work yep so uh sim so a sip just the same as um any other pension so you pay you 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 contribute into a sip you can contribute as little or as much as you like into a sip and your money will be immediately be boosted by pensions tax relief so basic rates of tax relief boost your money by 25%. And then, as I mentioned, you can claim higher and additional rate tax relief on top of that. You've got loads of investment choice, so thousands of different types of investments that you can choose through a SIP from listed stocks to funds to exchange traded funds, so passive type investments if you want to keep your costs as low as possible to commercial property funds. So one of the key reasons that people like SIPs is because it gives them that choice and that flexibility to build uh, a retirement uh, a retirement investment portfolio that really meets their own personal needs and sticks to their own personal needs. And I guess that's one of the, while automatic enrolment, as I mentioned, in workplace pensions has been successful in terms of getting people who don't want to take any notice of their investments to save a bit of money into a pension who maybe weren't saving before, your money will be put into a default investment fund, which won't be based around your own personal preferences, your own personal retirement goals and your own personal choices as well. So SIPs are all about giving you flexibility and choice and be able to make decisions about your retirement at the touch of a button at relatively low cost. And those costs have really been driven down actually over the last 10 years or so. Okay, um, so let's. I mean, imagining I'm opening an account, I want to. I want to mm. go with the SIP, um, but I've got lots of other little pensions elsewhere. Mm. I mean, is it fairly easy to find those and then bring them into this singular pot so that you can then decide exactly how you want to invest? Yeah, Marcus, that's a really. It's a really important issue. It can be tricky to locate your old pensions. So there are um, government reforms supposed to be going on at the moment designed to make it easier for you to do that. So the government are, are looking to uh, introduce what's called, what are called pensions dashboards reforms. So this will be an idea that you will be able to just put in your, um, your, your information, your national insurance number and a few more details into a government website online and it will be able to tell you all the different pensions you have with all the different pensions providers um, but it will but at the moment that doesn't exist so if you want to consolidate your pensions once you know uh, once you're able to locate your old pensions then it's easy enough to do you contact uh, a pension provider whether that be AJ Bell or anyone else and um, you instruct them to to take that you want you want to take on their money and you give the pensions details and then they'll be able to do the legwork for you but you will need to find the details of your old pensions now there are um, the, the DWP, the, so the, the government department, does have a pension finder service which can, um, which can help. So you can use that to try and locate some of your old lost pensions. But getting hold of those pensions can be a tricky admin process for some people, particularly as lots of, lots of people will have worked five, ten different jobs throughout their careers and might have built up a different pension with, it, with each of them. So that's why as you move from job to job, it's important if you can. It's exactly the kind of boring admin stuff that people forget to do. And frankly, the kind of boring stuff that I, admin stuff that I have forgotten to do in the past. 
as well. But if you move jobs, if you switch jobs, then make sure you keep the details on hand. It's, you won't necessarily need to remember the scheme. If you can just, sometimes you can just go through the company. If you speak to your old employer and uh, and ask them about your your pension, so that you want to consolidate with a new provider, they may be able to give you the the information. But once you've got hold of all those old pensions, then the process is very simple. Um, well, I was just going to ask, what will you do then? Do you do you then sell whatever those investments, uh, that, you know, whatever that, that those investments are, to bring it into cash? which you can, which then comes into the age of better account. I mean, how, how does that work? So not, not always the case. So you can't, that is, that is an option. You can also um, move the uh, investments over in specie. Um, usually when you've got a, a provider that the platform you're moving to has the same investments available and the same funds, then rather than selling down the investments, you do have the option of just transferring the money, the, the, the investments over from one provider to another without ever having to actually sell at a point where you may be don't want to sell that will depend obviously on the provider you're moving to having the same investments available as a provider that you're moving from but provided that that's that's the case then um, then you can do that without um, without any particular hassle um, one of the things that people so there are various things people need to think about when they're bringing together um, old and old old pensions from different providers so there's lots of reasons why that can be a good thing to do so you can lower your charges potentially so lots of some people will have um, pensions held with uh, older style um, companies where the charges can often be quite high certainly any charge above 0.75 percent nowadays is quite high so if you've got a pension with a with that kind of charge in it then you might want to consider whether you could have it cheaper elsewhere by moving move, moving your money um, tends to be easier to manage as well. Most people are going to want to have five or six different pensions that they have to keep an eye on, particularly as they're approaching the point where they, they want to take a retirement income. So that can be a benefit of merging your pensions as well. But one thing you need to be careful of is that I mentioned some of the older style pension products. Some of those will have valuable guarantees attached to them. So things like what's called a guaranteed annuity rate. So a guarantee that will pay you a certain income out in retirement were popular 20 or 30 years ago. And these uh, tend to be really valuable. And if you, if you, if you transfer that pension out, out of the provider you're with into a new provider, then that guaranteed annuity rate will be lost and you might end up in a worse financial position than you otherwise would be so you just need to watch out for those and you can ask your pension provider and they, they'll be able to tell you whether or not you're at risk of losing any of those if you move your money because there are certain pensions um am i right in saying that you you have to take advice yes yes so if you um the the advice requirement exists for defined benefit pensions as part of um the um the pension freedoms reforms that were introduced in 2015. I'm sure that's something we're going to talk about. Um, the, the government the government decided that people with private sector defined benefit funds um, are able to um, cash that they'll be allowed to cash those out in order to take advantage of the flexibilities that now exist in a defined contribution world but they decided that there would be um, an, a, a limit on the value uh, beyond which that people would need to take regulated financial advice so if your db pension is valued at thirty thousand pounds or more then you have to take regulated financial advice before moving that money to a different provider now that advice doesn't have to be in favor of a transfer or against a transfer but the, you do have to take the advice in order to move your money in. The, re the reason that was introduced is because 
these DB pensions are incredibly valuable. They're quite rare nowadays. And so giving one up means that you're giving up a, a level of security that doesn't tend to be available nowadays in pensions. So the government was clearly concerned that people would give up these DB pensions without really thinking about the impact it's going to have on their lifestyle in retirement. Mm. Okay, well, what is, you know, how much is a SIP going to cost you every year? Uh, so it will depend. So there are loads of different providers in um, in the market. And so it's, it's it's one of, like like all areas of financial services, really, you need to shop around um, uh, look at the different providers, see what it is they offer and see what, 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 what helps, see how much they're, going to charge you now from our point of view aj bell is is at the lower end of the market so um our our our, our administrative charge is 0.25 um, percent you then clearly got to add your investments onto that in order to um in order to get your full charge so depending whether you're going to go for active investments which tend to be more expensive or passive investments which can be can be cheaper but all in you should be able to quite comfortably um build a a retirement portfolio that meets your meets your risks probably around um if you did that around passive investing you should be able to do that than 0.5 percent and that's somewhere that's something where the the industry has really moved um over the last 15 20 years or or so the idea of a of being able to invest yourself through a, a SIP for less than 0.5% would have been ludicrous back then. But uh, given the, the increase in popularity, the onset of technology and the economies of scale that providers have been able to build up as a result of the increase in the popularity of, of SIPs, that, those kind of low, low costs are, are reasonably easy to come by. But it's, it is worth, um, even, even if there's only a small difference in the price between one provider and another, it is worth shopping around and trying to get the lowest price possible for the service that you want because even uh, even a 0.1% so a 10 basis points difference in the amount that you pay in charges over the course of someone's retirement and we're talking decades here can add up to tens of thousands of pounds less in your retirement pot so something that's definitely worth um, worth paying close attention to so you then get to the age of when we said it's 55 at the moment that's going to increase soon you am i right in saying you get a, you can get a slug that's tax free and then there and then over that you'll then start getting taxed how does this work yeah yeah so you can get 25% um of your pot will be available from age 55 um tax free and then the rest of your fund is taxed in the same way as income so when you start uh, so so yeah, so after taking the 25% tax free cash if you take any more then um it will be taxed at 20% if it's in the basic rate tax band, uh, 40% if it's in the higher rate tax band, and 45% if it's in the additional rate tax band. Now, one thing that people need to take, uh, take notice of, as well as the fact that um, if you uh, the sustainability of your withdrawal your, with your withdrawal plan is the fact that if you take ta when you take taxable income from your pension so over and above that 25 percent amount that you mentioned you'll trigger what's known as the money purchase annual allowance so i'll i'll apologize again for the jargon there it's not my fault these things are created by the government um but the um, there is a general annual allowance that exists for most people which is forty thousand pounds so that's the amount that you can save inclusive of tax relief into a pension so you can in a sip you could save thirty two thousand pounds and that would be topped up by eight thousand pounds tax relief so that's pretty generous um, twice the amount that you can have in an ISA for example but if you take taxable income from your pension 
then the government reduces your annual allowance from £40,000 to just £4,000. So that's something people need to think about when they're accessing their pension over and above their tax-free cash. Um, I think one of the other things that people need to consider is the uh, how they manage the withdrawals, not just from a sustainability point of view, but from a, the point of view of minimising the amount of income tax you pay. So some people will reach age, age 55 and decide and see the fact that they can access all this money all at once. It might be £50,000, it might be £100,000. And you can imagine for a lot of people, that will be more money than they've ever been able to touch in their life. And the temptation will be just to whip it out of the pension and perhaps stick it into a bank account, something that they're more familiar with, um, or whip it out of the pension and put it into another investment product. Now, clearly people are free to do that. But if you do that, and it's certainly if it's a, a fund anywhere bigger than £30,000, you're going to be paying tax on that you, that you could potentially not pay but pay by managing withdrawals in smaller chunks, so taking smaller bits out of your pension. So those are just a couple of the things that people need to think about when they're, when they're getting to the point of accessing that tax-free cash. Okay, um, well, let's get on to the investments then you can make. I mean, I think we've covered quite a lot of the features there. Um, are there things you, you know, what can you invest in, what can't you invest in? Yep. Yeah, so you can you can invest in most um, most regulated uh, things. So um, you can invest in uh, regulated funds. I mentioned passive investments, so ETFs, um, listed stocks, so stock market companies. You're able to access them as well via via SIPs um, and government bonds as well, and different type of bond funds as well. Uh, the, the the types of investment that will be available to people will differ depending on the provider that they go through. So um, one of the advantages of SIPs tends to be that the choice is quite wide. So there's usually thousands of different types of things that you can invest your money in, whereas some um, personal pensions and so some, some ten, ten, tend to be offered by insurance companies will sometimes only allow you to invest in their own funds. And so the level of choice that's available is much lower. Um, one of the main things that you can't invest in with a SIP um, would be residential property. Um, you also, for some investments, for example, if you want to invest directly in a commercial property, you might need to do it through a financial advisor. So I mentioned at the start that AJ Bell's got a, a direct consumer business and one that one that deals with um, finance, that, that offers services to financial advisors who then offer services to their customers um, so there are some things where if it's a little bit more complicated or a little bit more, more esoteric you would need to do it through a financial advisor but a wide range of investments available to people one one thing i probably should mention is that there are there, there are things that providers or certainly most reputable providers won't let you invest in and certainly won't let you invest in um, if you're a direct customer, so not working with a financial advisor. So um, then but a lot of this is due to the risk of people being scammed. So quite often, if you people who want to invest in unregulated overseas properties, for example, unregulated investments, generally, um, if you're if you're trying to do that without a financial advisor, then you probably won't have any luck anywhere in the market. And even if you're doing it through a financial advisor, there's a um, there's an onus on pension providers like AJ Bell, but others as well, to do significant amounts of due diligence now on these investments to make sure that they're um, they're bona fide, that they're real, and that people aren't at risk of um, either facing huge tax charges as a result of these products or having their money stolen altogether. So, lots of choice, but also 
protections in place by most providers and regulations in place to make sure that your your money's not going to be going somewhere where it's going to disappear down a big black hole. All right, then. So how would you, you know, go about approaching the type of investments that you might make um, in a pension? And I think probably the best way to do this is to maybe have a look at, at different ages um, and, and, and how different age groups might uh, uh, approach that. So, you know, maybe in your 20s and 30s versus 40s and 50s and then and then 60s and sort of approaching retirement. Do you have... Do you... Yeah, yeah. So I would say, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting, interesting question. And obviously um, I'm going to be quite broad brush here, so I apologise in advance. But um, if you're young, so, so clearly for anyone who's investing, you should be... Um, aware of the risks that you're taking and understand that the, the value of your fund can go down as well as or particularly in the short term but broadly um, younger people should have a greater greater capacity to take some investment risk than people who are approaching a point where they want to return their turn their um, their pension pot into a retirement income and the, and the reason for that is that historically at least um, stock markets have very much been a a get rich slow scheme so you shouldn't be investing your money um in stocks and shares and taking risk assuming that you're going to make a quick book over a year or two years but over the course of a 20 30 40 40 year savings career then historically stock markets have delivered returns for investors so if you're a young person so someone in their 20s and 30s you should probably be taking some investment risk although obviously again you have to be comfortable with the risk that you're taking um, the main thing that you want to be focused on there is saving early and often though so just getting into the habit and saving as much as you can afford to now if you're clearly someone who's in their 20s and 30s probably has competing priorities for their money so it's not all going to be about the pension for someone for someone in that age group there's clearly going to be some money that's just, just they're just going to want to spend on on um, on holidays and living their day-to-day life there's going to be a lot for lots of people buying a home will be a priority and so they want to set some money aside for that so for people in that age group the best advice i could give to them is to write down a budget prioritize what you're doing and what you're going to save and then get that money into different buckets so if you're investing investing through a pension invest for the long term and you should be comfortable with the risks you're taking but you probably want to be taking some stock market risk because you've got a very long time horizon and then think about things like a lifetime ISA for saving in a house which again can be invested but this time horizon will be a bit shorter there um, and obviously you also need to consider um, having a, a rainy day fund in place probably in, in a in, in a the, the best interest paying cash product that you can find or that's quite difficult at the moment so that you're you're covered if things go wrong so but from a pension perspective you should be looking to the long term and you probably want to be taking a decent amount of um a stock market risk in those in those early years but the the biggest thing the thing that will make the biggest i think sometimes we can be overly focused on um how we invest our money in order to um you know beat the market or do better than somebody else the best way to build up a decent pension is to start saving early save often and get into that habit early so you can you you, you can so it, it becomes easy and you can benefit from the magic of um of compound growth over time okay so i mean if you were going to sort of provide mm-hmm. a very broad kind of look at how you might approach it from young through to nearing pension age then would you say it's generally if you if you're comfortable with risk 
you take more risk when you when you're much younger and then you gradually take less and less risk as you get older um, but then also probably switch a strategy that's that's less less about growth into more about income would you say that's a broad kind of way of looking at it Broad, broad, broadly, that's about right. It will be the, the, um, one of the things um, that has changed as a as a result of the, the pension freedoms is the way that um, people need to think about their investments as they approach retirement. So, if you're um, so as you as you as you said, if you're if you're younger and you want you, you want to be focused on growth and you can take some investment risk, you'll then have a group of people who perhaps in their late fifties, early sixties are planning to buy an annuity. With their entire pot, so turn their annuity a, a product, which uh, an insurance product, which guarantees to pay an income for life. If you want to go down that route, then you probably want to be reducing the risk in your portfolio as you approach your chosen retirement date. But as you mentioned, lots of so nowadays about three people enter drawdown for every person who buys an annuity. So for lots of people, um, the point at which they reach retirement, whether that's 65, 67, older, younger, is isn't the end of their retirement saving journey. They're not converting their money into an in, into a guaranteed income stream. They're going to keep the money invested. And so when you reach that point, when you stop working or perhaps go, go into part-time work, you're not necessarily going to make huge changes to the investments that you have because somebody who, I mean, if you think about somebody who's, say, 65, the average life expectancy for a woman in the UK is about 87, but she'll have a one in four chance of reaching 94 and probably about a 5% chance of reaching a 100th birthday. So someone who's healthy in the mid 60s might still have an investment time horizon of 20 years plus. And so there will be a focus on income there, particularly if you're, if you're investing through drawdown, because clearly you're, you're wanting to generate some income from your fund. And there are various different ways to do that. But it's it's it, whereas historically that would be the point where you would have no risk in your portfolio whatsoever lots of people nowadays will continue to have investment risk in their portfolio I mean, it's just a case of managing your investments in a way that delivers uh the, the the priorities that you want of course income investing has become increasingly difficult for lots of people particularly in light of coronavirus you have i've um we we've we've had lots of questions in from customers and from journalists as well about the the, the problems faced by people who had relied on company dividends, for example. So people who invested in certain companies, hoping that those dividends will pay their retirement income. And of course, we've seen in 2020, it's been a bloodbath for dividends. And I think that was one of those things that was just a, a, rem, a reminder that while you can invest in a way that targets generating an income for you, none of this is guaranteed. And anyone who pretends to tell you that it's guaranteed is frankly leading you up a blind alley because it's possible that a year like 2020 can happen and companies will pull dividends and you'll have to chew into your pension pot rather than being able to live off the natural income that it can produce. So just, uh, I, think, I think that's one of those situations. It shouldn't scare people, but it's just a reminder that you need to have a plan B if your income, income paying investments, be they funds or, or direct stocks, don't deliver in the short term. Yeah, that's interesting there. So if you were buying an annuity, you would need all mm. that cash right now. Whereas yeah. if you were planning on drawing down your fund over time, then some of it you'll need mm. low risk because you you want that cash now, but 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 some of it may have a twenty year time horizon. So actually, it's not all or nothing with these things. 
there, there could be differences within your portfolio. Exactly. It's, and it's, it, I think the key thing with people who are entering drawdowns, so I'll say two things. First of all, people who are um, planning to buy an annuity with some or all of their pot. Um, I saw some horror stories um, in the um, early stages of coronavirus where people had their fund invested in what they thought was a low risk um, bond product. In fact, the low, it wasn't as low risk as they thought it was and the value of their fund dropped 20% just as they were about to, to retire. And so you had people who were genuinely fearful that they were going to have to work an extra five years beyond what they planned or have to accept 20% lower income in retirement. So neither, um, neither, neither options that are palatable to most people and, uh, and, and a lesson that you need to not, don't just shove your money into a fund that you think is safe, really do your due diligence and make sure you know that it's in, in something that's cash or similar to cash if you're, um, if you're planning to buy an annuity. And when it comes to drawdown, the key, um, and this is a drum I constantly bang, is engagement. So if you're going to keep your money invested, and that's what the vast majority of people do now, um, it's it's not the case that you can just set your investments and forget them and not worry about them. You need to um, manage, you need to be aware of how your money is invested and you need to manage both the risks you're taking and the uh, withdrawals you're making when you come into retirement. Because one of the key risks for people in drawdown is that we hit a patch like we hit in April, May, where stock markets drop significantly and people continue to take significant withdrawals while their stock markets drop. And the net result of that will be for lots of people that they'll end up running out of money early in retirement. And clearly that's not what anybody wants to do. That's not to that's not to scare people, but that's just to say that you need to keep your eye on the ball when you're in drawdown. And if stock markets hit trouble or if you have to sell down some of your capital rather than taking a natural income that you just revisit your plans revisit how much income you're taking and make sure you're comfortable that it remains sustainable if the environment you're investing in has changed and of course if you're really unsure then um take some advice you know find yeah. a financial advisor presumably yeah 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 and people people often get put off like, like with um like with lots of things, because uh, advisors can can often charge an upfront amount for you to um, invest. People often get put off by the the costs involved. But if you if you have no idea what you're doing, then um, and indeed even if you think you have an idea, some sometimes the most dangerous thing can actually be people who think they know what they're doing and have no idea whatsoever. And often, certainly for anyone who's got a decent sized pension pot. Um, financial advice can be can be worth its weight in gold not not only in terms of helping you ensure that your withdrawal plan is sustainable but also navigating thorny things like inheritance tax capital gains tax the, the constantly changing pensions tax rules um, I think it, for anybody who feels that they can they, they have the money then an advisor can be one of the one of the wisest investments you can make I mean it kind of reminds me of it's similar things are said about accountants as well you know a good accountant mm. will save you far more than you'll spend on on that accountant and i and i and in my thoughts with financial advisors that it, it can be even more especially if you're you know if you've got a big pot things are complex um then you know um i wouldn't be afraid yeah, of it yeah um i just wanted to get on to you know there are other options out there that are much more simple um i can think of simplified robo mm. kind of options like pension b why why not go for something like that why take on the complexity of a sip um yep yeah, so there's, there's there's no reason why um why someone shouldn't go down that route so um 
those types of firms are potentially attractive for people who don't want to make their own decisions. So just want to put their money in a, in a, in a, in a set um, pre-made fund. Um, but if you're going to go down that route, you need to understand exactly what it is you're getting and the cost that you're going to be paying as well. So sometimes, and I'm not commenting here specifically on pension B, but just generally, um, sometimes the, the, the funds that you're buying can actually be more expensive than what's available in the rest of the market. And um, so you, you know, you mentioned, about, I'll mention AJ Bell because that's what I know. You can, you, the admin fee for AJ Bell is 0.25%. There's not many robo-advisors, I think, that charge that as an admin fee. They used to be, usually tend to be a little bit higher, although some of them are reasonably affordable. Um, usually there are similar services available on other platforms as well, sometimes at a, at a lower cost. So again, while AJ Bell offers um, more choice, and I, clearly that some people, some people that look like complexity, but we offer lots more choice of different investments. We also have investments that are geared towards in different types of investors um, and, uh, and, and have, been, have been simplified so that people can choose based on their, based on their risk tolerances. So there are other options out there. And it's also, I think it's worth people just taking a step back when they're considering going down a, a robo route or with a new firm and just making sure that they understand the business model and the financial strength of the provider and don't just fall for a, a fancy app. I think there are, without naming any names, there are one or two fancy apps that exist out there in the UK at the moment where if you look under the bonnet and you look how much they're charging, it's actually quite a lot more than the established providers in the market and clearly that's a, a challenge to providers in the market in that they need to communicate perhaps their services better because um, it shouldn't be the case that somebody who's launched a, a new app that works reasonably well can charge well over one percent for their services while an existing firm um, charges you know 0.5 percent or or less, and as I mentioned earlier, the, I mean, while the one of the trick, one of the tricky things with charges is that very small differences can make a really big, really big difference over a long period of time. So it's worth just making sure you know exactly what you're going to be paying for whatever service you choose, and understand the impact that that might have over over the course of decades. Okay, um, let's get on to. Um, well, let's actually go to the, the pension freedoms that we talked about in 2015. Mm. I mean, can you describe what those were and also why that there's been some reports that it's led to more fraud as well? Yeah, yeah, sure. So this um, this is probably the most dramatic thing that can happen to a pensions analyst. So <laughs> back in 2014, I know that's not saying very much, is it? Um, back, in two, back in 2014, George Osborne, um, delivered a budget which was a real shock to everyone. So not not normally when budgets come around, most of the stuff that's been, stuff that's coming out has been um, has been pre-leaked and it's all been in the national newspapers and everyone knows roughly what's coming down the track. But this was a genuine rabbit out of the hat moment. So um, prior to um, 2015, the vast majority of people um, who reached um, age 65 uh, or reached retirement would buy an annuity so the system was set up to nudge people towards buying an annuity use it usually with their existing pension provider now there have been years and years of campaigning about the problems with this system mainly that um, there were all sorts of horror stories of people who had um, life limiting illnesses so cancer or diabetes for example who were being shoveled into um, what's known as a, a healthy single life 
annuity. So if you've got a life limiting illness, then you should be able to get a much higher rate on your annuity because your insurance company thinks you're going to live a lot less long than someone who's healthy. But insurance companies were selling these annuities, these healthy annuities to people who weren't healthy, who could have been getting 30, 40, 50% more income as a result. So there have been years and years of attempts to get the government to reform the sector, attempts to get um, to make sure that the consumers were better protected. And in the event of the 2014 budget, George Osborne pulled a rabbit out of the hat and decided to totally overhaul the system. And so what that meant was that um, rather than most people going and buying an annuity at age 65, from age 50, so from age 55, anyone could do whatever they wanted with their pension pot, subject to some restrictions. So um, as, as we talked about the defined benefit restrictions that exist, so you'd have to um, take advice if you wanted to transfer out of a, a defined benefit pension worth £30,000 or more. But other than that, the income tax, the income tax um, effects are still in place as well. So 75% of your money you take out will be subject to income tax. But other than that, you can spend and invest your money however you like now that clearly is that's been very popular with people because people tend to like choice and they tend to like control over their money i think generally people have um the the stats that we've seen tend to suggest that people have spent their money sensibly people on overall at making huge withdrawals that are going to leave them facing penury in retirement although obviously there are going to be um people who do make poor decisions when you give people total freedom and choice people will make poor decisions um, and as you mentioned one of the so while while there are good things lots of good things about the pension freedoms one of the downsides has been that this was always going to be catnip to um, pension fraudsters and scammers so if you create a, a new set of rules where people can access what for lots of people with the biggest asset they, they have um, however they want and they can spend the money however they want then clearly scammers are going to target that money and try to get people to part with that money um, and invest it in something which either isn't suitable for them or more likely than not simply doesn't exist and they'll just be away with the money so um, I'd say that was while, while the pension freedoms generally have been a positive in terms of getting people more engaged with pensions getting people more interested in saving more in pensions and also allowing people more freedom to spend their money in the way that they want and to build a retirement income strategy that suits them as well um, as well as reducing the number of people by locking into annuities that are just the wrong product for them for the rest of their life that they can't come back from the the downside was that the the government if it's all, if it was honest with itself didn't really prepare properly for the obvious risk that scammers were going to increase their activity around this and what it's I mean it's hard to know exactly how much has been lost to lost to scammers because clearly a lot of this stuff goes under the radar but it's been pretty clear that scam activity has increased and lots of scammers uh, have been have been attempting to to feast on people's pension money and um, the there have been government efforts since then to try to um, protect people. So there was a ban on pensions cold calling that wasn't introduced until I think 2018 or 2019 though. So very late to the party given the reforms were introduced in, um, in 2015. But the, the reality for most people is that they need to protect themselves from these scammers. So the, the scam activity is increasingly 
sophisticated. It's gen while well, a cold calling ban is useful. A lot of it has moved online. Um, it's quite hard to do a Google search or go onto Twitter or um, LinkedIn or Facebook without being bombarded with all these different adverts. And lots of them will be to fairly dodgy looking investment opportunities in inverted commas that probably aren't opportunities at all. Um, and the, 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 I think some good work's been done by the, the, the Financial Conduct Authority in trying to boost awareness of scams and get make sure that people do things to protect themselves but um i think there's still still a way to go in that in, in that educational battle okay interesting all right um well let's move on to the final thing i kind of wanted to talk to you about and that was from um this report by the, the institute of fiscal studies and it was looking at the pensions mm. take up in the uk and it was a 20-year period between 98 in 2018 and in particular it found it was it was looking at the different sort of groups of people that have pensions and it found that the self-employed group had dropped from pension participation mm. from one in two back 20 years ago to now one in six why yeah. are the self-employed no longer wanting to take up pensions Really good question. And um, the honest answer is nobody's exactly sure why. And um, one of the, I mean, one of the more obvious things that's happened certainly in recent years is the earnings of self-employed people has dropped um, significantly. And so people who are self-employed may feel that they were, um, they were less able to save for retirement as a result of the fact that their earnings have basically stagnated since the financial crisis but it is it is something of a of a mystery and that ifs report doesn't is it wasn't able to get to the bottom of exactly why this phenomenon has happened but it has happened and so we're when the you i mean we, we've seen um, a rise in the gig economy as well so lots and lots of people who are self-employed now tend to be a bit lower paid as well but even even when you take into account different levels of pay the propensity of people to save across income groups when you're self-employed is much lower now than it used to be. So no no clear reason as to why it's happened, but it, it is a, a brewing crisis that's facing the UK. So we mentioned um, automatic enrolment earlier, and that's been designed to solve the problem or help solve the problem of people not saving for retirement in the workplace. Um, the minimum contributions for auto enrollment are actually really low. So that that's still a problem because the amount that people are saving through their workplace isn't going to be enough to deliver the retirements that most people want. So there's work to be done, done there in terms of encouraging people to save over and above that automatic enrollment minimum. But for the self-employed, the, at the moment, there's nothing. So there's the state pension. So I talked about the, the different tiers that existed. So the, the the state pension, the workplace pension, and and SIPs. For lot for, for certainly for one in six, one in seven self-employed people, they have absolutely nothing at all. So they're not saving anything for themselves um, via uh, a pension. I think lots of self-employed people still um, still use the old adage that my that my house is my pension. Um, people who own businesses might think that their business is going, they'll be able to sell their business and rely on that to deliver a retirement income. Um, that may work out, but the risk when you go down that route is that you're entirely beholden to the performance of that asset to um, deliver a decent income for you in retirement. One of the great things about pensions is that you can, and ISIS as well, is that you can invest in 
different stocks and shares from around the world and you can build a diversified portfolio that means that you're you shouldn't in theory be facing a big drop for example in the value of your pension just before you reach retirement as long as you invest it sensibly whereas if you're for example planning to retire on you say if you own um uh, I don't know, a used car shop and you're planning to sell it to fund your retirement and then used car, used car sales all of a sudden become a lot less popular um, a year before retirement and the value of your business drops from 500 grand to 100 grand, then you're going to be in real trouble. And I think one of the big challenges facing the government and the rest of the, the pensions industry, I guess, and regulators as well, is um, finding ways to get to self-employed people and explain to them why it is that saving for retirement is going to be important and what the potential consequences are of for them if they if they don't make that decision um part of the part of the problem there is that while with automatic enrollment you've got the employer worker relationship so you can the government's been able to leverage that to get more people to save at least something in a pension that clearly doesn't exist if you're self-employed so it's not clear how the government are going to square that circle. There are options available for self-employed people that are, uh, would be a, 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 a attractive, I think. So we talked about SIPs, and they're the kind of flexible option that may appeal to self-employed people. Also, lifetime ISAs are a new, slightly complicated product, mm. but uh, a mix between an I, uh, between a between a, a pension and an ISA that's got a first-time buyer element that could be attractive to self-employed people as well but the, the are too few are saving anything for retirement and it is uh, as, as it's a growing segment of the of the uk i think we have almost five million self-employed people in the mm. uk now it's potentially going to be a, a real a real problem unless something's done yeah i mean I, I i like the idea that you're talking there you know if yeah your pension is reliant on your house or a mm. single business then you are totally beholden to the forces that affect the value of that single asset. Exactly. Whereas with investing in across assets, across geographies, across markets, different levels of risk, the diversification that that brings you and what that then does to the overall risk that you're taking, um, it, it's just got to be leaps ahead in terms of the benefits it provides you versus opting for this incredibly risky strategy of of just one single asset yeah and he, I, I mean the property point is particularly interesting i think and i think yeah it, because the financial crisis was uh, well god we're talking 12 13 years ago now it's faded into people's rear view mirrors and i think there's a sense and it was uh, it always happens with financial crisis it takes a bit of time but eventually people forget that things can go wrong and particularly in the uk there's a there's a real um fascination boring on obsession with bricks and bricks and mortar and i think that's partly because um uh the, you know the, the baby boomers and the generation just coming up to retirement now benefited significantly from surging property prices and so lots of people hear stories of how um, their parents or perhaps their grandparents have done incredibly well on uh but just by living in their home and selling up and living and selling up and think that that's the way to do it and there are absolutely no guarantees and as you mentioned if you've got that one asset then if things take a dip then you're left with the pretty horrible choice of either retiring on less money or retiring later and for most people that's that's a choice they don't want to be faced with yeah and i can see why why 
the focus on the housing market has been the case because it's a leveraged investment mm. that really has always gone up for decades. Yeah. So, yeah. Of, of course, I mean, the returns have been exceptional on that. But but I just can't see how that's always going to continue. Um, and and also it, it, it means that people forget the actual risks associated with that kind of single asset investment. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've covered quite a lot there, Tom. Um, it's been absolutely fantastic to talk to you. Um, so I'd like to thank you for coming. Oh, cheers. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. So a big thanks to Tom Selby there from AJ Bell. Very knowledgeable chap. And I think that was quite a comprehensive look at pensions and SIPs. But if you have any questions, do send us an email. Also, don't see this as a view on AJ Bell. You must, you must go and make your own decisions when it comes to choosing investment platforms or indeed investments. Next week, we're going to take a look at much more simple personal pensions to give you a little bit of a different perspective in the form of Pension B which is one of the top digital investment platforms in the UK with 367,000 customers. Please don't miss it. Also, don't forget to check out our free guide. It has lots of different articles, including one that deals with investing amid a second wave. Okay, well, that is all we have time for for today. Thanks to Tom from AJ Bell and, of course, to you for listening. Join us again next week on the Steps to Investing podcast. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye.